0: If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke, Luke chapter 11. We began uh, to look at this passage last week, uh, beginning in verse 1, and we didn't make it very far as is usually the case, Um, but we're going to try to finish off what we began last week. So uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, Uh, specifically today we'll be looking at at verses 5 through 13, but I want to start where we started last week and read all the way through. So let's hear God's word together. those who ask him, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God it stands forever. Let's pray together, Father. As we come now to this portion of Your Word, we pray that You would uh, send Your Holy Spirit to work mightily in our hearts, uh, Lord. We need You to uh, illumine these words to, to teach us the truth that they contain, Father. We need You to teach us how to pray, and that's what these words will, will show us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work in the lives of your people in a mighty way, as you have promised to do. Lord, we pray that even now, in this time, we would see Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Learning to pray, part two. <laughs> uh, well, if having just come through the, the Christmas season, I'm sure it will be no problem, uh, especially for you ladies, uh, to do what I'm about to ask you to do, which is to think of a time or to imagine a time when you receive the perfect, the perfect or the best gift that you have ever received. Uh, the, the best gift that you've ever gotten. Now maybe it came at a time when you asked for this thing. You know, maybe you asked for something specifically, and that's what you got. And if so, I'm sure the scenario it went something like this. You know, I remember when I was a kid, uh, we would get—I don't know if this still happens—but we would get the the Toys R Us catalog, or maybe it was a Sears catalog. We would get it in the mail, and so we would take it. And we'd open it up. And we would circle everything very obviously and brightly the things that we wanted, uh, and then I would make sure just by happenstance, that that magazine would end up in just the right place so that the right eyes would see it, so that they would know. And then, if that was not enough, you also, along the way, first sort of subtly and then more uh, obviously... Uh, you would have to sort of drop some hints, right? Just to make sure that everybody was on the same page, make sure everybody knew exactly what was going on here. So sometimes the, the gift, it comes that way. It comes because you ask and people give you what you've asked for. Other times, and we know this, sometimes we get something that we didn't expect at all, but it turns out to be exactly what we needed. Now, I remember several years ago, I got these things, they were called tiles, Some of you may have seen this. They're basically like little mini tracking devices for your keys or your phone or whatever it may be. And look, if there's anybody in the world that needs one of those, it's me. Because Dana will tell you and Mark will tell you before and and all of these guys down here will tell you that I lose my keys more than any human alive. I can never, ever find my keys. And so it was the perfect gift. But there was another way that I knew it was the perfect gift. Not only did Renee get me a set that year, but I'm pretty sure Ryan got me a set and Miss Rita got me a set. So it was clear that this was exactly what I needed. Now, on a side note, those things are great until you lose both the keys and the phone that you need to track it with. So um, just be warned. But however the the gift comes, whether it comes through an annoying persistence or whether it comes unexpectedly, I want you to think back to how satisfying it was, how content you felt when you opened it up and you got that thing. Maybe if it took you a little while to figure it out, maybe when you got that thing that was just right, the perfect gift what if I told you that, that here in our passage today, that's exactly what God intends to give all of us as his people. And really, he, he intends to give us far more, but he intends to give us all through prayer, the perfect, the best gift of all. Now, experience or doubt, they, they may make us skeptical about this, uh, but, but our passage today, that, that's exactly what Jesus seems to, to imply here. It's exactly what he seems to suggest to us. You remember last week that in verse 1, the disciples had asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. They had come to the Master, the one that they had seen praying over and over and over again in all of those different circumstances that we saw. And already in response, he has given them the model prayer. He has given them the Lord's Prayer, the one that we recite week after week after week. But you remember how, how it reminds us who it is that we address. It reminds us to come with the proper reverence, the proper perspective before him, right? But then he also encourages us to pray for our provision, our daily bread. He encourages us to pray for forgiveness of sins. And he encourages us to pray for protection, protection from temptation, protection from the evil that is out in the world. And so in this Lord's Prayer, he gives us both the proper reverence, the proper perspective that we need to come to God. But today, as he continues this, this great lesson in prayer, he also wants us to have the proper assurance as we come in prayer. Here, Jesus suggests. Now, let's, let's rephrase that. He guarantees that God will give us the things that we ask for in our prayer lives. Now, bear with me because we're going we're to try to unpack that a little bit. But before I go to qualifying it too much, if you read this, that's exactly what Jesus says. He gives us the assurance that when we pray, as he has called us to pray, that God is ready and able and willing to give us the things that that we pray for. He is able to give us far more than we can even expect. Now, he's going to call us to a a, a persistence that would have made my younger self around Christmas very proud. What we see here is that he intends to give us the, the greatest gift of all. The identity of that gift may be unexpected to us, but in the end, I hope we will find that in reality, it is truly far more than we could have ever expected, and it's truly far more than we would ever deserve. And so let's look at it together and let's continue to learn how to pray. First in this passage, you see persevering in prayer, persevering in prayer. You see that in verses five through eight in this first little parable that Jesus gives us. Now, in order to to really understand what Jesus is driving at here, it's going to be helpful for us to to have a little context to the customs of that time, to to what would go on uh, in the homes of these Jewish people. And we got a little taste of this in our study of Mary and Martha several weeks ago. But you remember uh, the, the idea of hospitality to a friend, to someone who is traveling, to someone who shows up at your home, even unannounced, Hospitality, it is an obligation. It is a sacred duty that these people have. Uh, One commentator describes it as a holy obligation. If you think back to Genesis chapter 18, you'll remember there that Abraham, he receives those three guests, those three visitors, right? Turns out one of them is the Lord, for sure. And so there's a reason why he is so eager uh, to, to, to be hospitable to them. But he also was obligated to do it. He also felt obligated to set food before these travelers who came to he and Sarah. And certainly that must be how this man in our story today felt. Uh, And notice, uh, he is a man who has a friend that arrives at his house in the middle of the night. And so you can imagine what that must have been like. Uh, And he is obligated, even there at that late hour... To extend hospitality to this guest. And he's obligated to do it at least in part by providing him some sort of food. Uh, the problem, of course, is that he has no food. Uh, he goes to his cupboards and as we would say, they are there. And so rather than say, hey, you're going to have to go to the next house. You're going to have to go to the next person. His obligation won't allow him to do that. And so he, he goes out. And he goes to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door. Again, remember, it's midnight and he says, hey, I got to have some bread. You got to give me something that I can provide to this guest that has arrived at my house. Remember, there's no 24 hour Walmart. There's no 24 hour bakery that he can go to. He is dependent now on this neighbor. Now, from here, the story, it becomes sort of comical. And you have to, we have to recognize at the beginning that this is Jesus' point, that he is giving us sort of an extreme example for us to see so that his point, the point that he's trying to make, will become even clearer to us. Uh, but notice that, that because it is midnight, uh, the, the neighbor, he feels no obligation. He doesn't feel the same obligation that the man who is at his door feels. After all, it's late. He's in bed, his kids are already in the bed, and if you have kids and you finally have them down, you know how important it is not to get them back up again, right? This is, seems like a legitimate response. He doesn't want to get up. He Basically, in short, he says, hey, I hear you, but go away. Go find somebody else to bother at this time of night. But the first man, notice, he can't take no for an answer, can he? He has guests that are waiting for him at his house. And so rather than go home empty handed, rather than go somewhere else, what does he do? He stands and he knocks. He says, Hey, you got to get up. I got to have the bread. Come to the door. And what's funny about the story is notice that what the man will not do for friendship's sake, he's not going to get up and give him the bread because this man is his neighbor and his friend. He will do it because the man won't leave him alone. The man is so persistent and he wants to sleep and he's so ready to be rid of him that finally he says, okay, okay, okay. He goes to the cupboard. He gets the bread. He takes it. And I says, here, take it. Go away. Just be gone. He's, he's, he will do it because the man is persistent. He will not stop knocking. He will not leave him alone. Now, What's the point of all of this? Well, remember, Jesus is applying this to our prayer lives. And though this is certainly an extreme example, so there's not going to be a one to one correlation here in every aspect of this story. The principle holds true, doesn't it? What Jesus is calling us to is a persistence, a boldness in prayer that often I think we are hesitant to have. He wants us to make our requests known to him over and over and over again, if that's what it takes for us to continually pray, even for the same things, to pray to him persistently. Now, I want you to remember this by way of qualification. I said it was coming. And here's at least one of them. Remember that all of this is being said in light of what? It's being said in light of the Lord's Prayer that He has already given us there in those initial verses. And so I want you to recognize that what Jesus is not saying is He is not saying that in our boldness we can forget who it is that we are coming before, right? You know, and I, I have said this, and there's a truth to it that I, that I hesitate to take away. Uh, but, you know, we say we can come to God and we can come however, and we can come. Yeah, we, if we're mad, we can bring that. We can bring it all. And that's true. That is absolutely true. He can take it. He is God. David comes in the Psalms in ways that are surprising to us. But, but may we never forget who it is that we come before. Even if we're angry, even if we're mad, even if we're overwhelmed with sadness or grief. May we always remember that it is the maker of heaven and earth that we stand before. It is the one who is the all-consuming fire. And again, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus reminds us of that. He teaches us that from the very beginning. And so what Jesus is saying here is come boldly, but he does, he does, don't lose your mind. Don't lose sight of who it is that you're coming before. He's also not saying to us that the Father has to be persuaded or that he has to be talked into giving us what we need. No, we're going to see in just a minute that Jesus gives us some amazing assurance about what the Lord is prepared to do. And the Bible makes it clear that God is ready, that he's eager to answer our prayers. You know, it's not like he says, okay, well, Stephen has annoyed me enough with this. Finally, I will answer what he has said. No, he, he is prepared. He is able to give us all of these things. But remember, he is a God of means, right? He is a God who uses the things that he has created to, do the, to accomplish His providence out in the world. And for whatever reason, prayer is one of those means that He has ordained to use in our lives. And so while we can't say for sure with 100% certainty exactly how prayer works with God, we know that He says it is effective and He calls us to do it. And here, He calls us to do it persistently. Now, we could go into a lot more depth with all of those things. But I simply want to give you one example that helps illustrate this very well. And it's a biblical example. If you have your Bibles open, you can turn there. You don't have to, but turn to to 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's a familiar story to you, one that that you know so well. But it's the story of Hannah, uh, Samuel's mother, right? You remember there that that she has a a husband, uh, Elkaniah, who had had another wife, uh, Peninnah. Uh, And Peninnah had children and Hannah did not. Uh, And Peninnah, she would kind of provoke Hannah, right? Uh, She would kind of pick at her, make fun of her because she was bare and she had no children. Obviously, that was an overwhelming situation for Hannah. It it hurt her to her core. Uh, And so what we find is that this family was a faithful family. That every year they would go to Shiloh. They would go to the altar there and they would bring their praise, their worship, their sacrifices to God. And what is implied in the story is that year after year after year, what would Hannah do? She would come with the desires of her heart. She would come with this this request for a son, for a child, and that she would bear her soul year after year after year there before God. Now, for many years, it seemed that that prayer would never be answered, and yet she continued, right? Persistently, Maybe it was because that was the only, only course she saw in front of her, was to go to God and pray. But that's what she did. Until finally there in the story, you'll remember, uh, she is praying before God. Uh, she is weeping bitterly, it says. Uh, she is laying her soul bare to the point that, that Eli thinks that, that she is drunk, right? She is so enthralled with the prayer that she is making. She's so passionate about it. So boldly coming before God that the priest thinks she's drunk. And of course, she's not. And she tells him what's going on. He blesses her and says, may the Lord do exactly what you've asked. And eventually we find that that's exactly what God does. In verse 19, it says that he remembers Hannah. She blesses him with a son. The, the prophet Samuel, one of the great prophets of Israel, right? The first major prophet there after Moses. He, she gives him this child, blesses him. The point that I want you to see is Hannah is persisted in her prayer over and over again. Year after year, she comes before God with the same request. Kind of think of the same thing over in the New Testament, right? Uh, With Zachariah and Elizabeth. Same, Same situation. They're old. They have no children. But you can imagine year after year after year, they have prayed for this child. And the Lord, he remembers them. And so here, the same thing, Jesus, he commands us to do that very thing, to be persistent. And we know that the Father, he desires to answer those prayers. And so Jesus teaches us to be persistent in prayer. Secondly, I want you to notice here that he gives us assurance in prayer, persistence, and then secondly, assurance. And you see it there in verses 9 through 13. Now, before we jump into what Jesus says, what we need to say, and I'm sure experience will tell us, that, that persistence does not obligate God to answer us in any way. You know, Hannah, eventually God does answer her the way that she wants. Elizabeth and Zachariah, the same situation. But we know, we know that, that, that didn't always, that's not always the case. You know, Ben reminded us last week in the children's sermon that sometimes God answers yes, and sometimes he answers no. And sometimes he answers, wait. Uh, and I would also include that sometimes he answers, watch. Watch and see what I'm about to do. That he's going to do far more than we asked, than we, than we could have really uh, imagined him doing. But having said all of that, that we know that, that this is not a magical formula to make God hear us or answer us, I want you to recognize the incredible, incredible. Almost unqualified promise that Jesus gives us about prayer here. Look at verse nine. He says, and I tell you, that's simple and straightforward. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Friends, that's some some pretty bold and amazing assurance that Jesus is able to give here, right? It seems that Jesus is saying that God intends to give us the desires of our heart in prayer. The question is, is, how can we trust that claim to be true when it seems so often that our prayers are either not heard Or it seems that they are not answered in the way that we would want them to be. Again, I would remind you, it's important to to understand uh, the context that we're in, right? What has Jesus already given us? He has given us the Lord's Prayer. He has given us the model. And so as he gives us this assurance, it was with that prayer in mind. In other words, he's saying, when you pray this way, when you pray as I've taught you, Here's what you can expect. God will answer. Now Again, I want, you to, I want to ask, how can we know that that's true? How can Jesus say that with the confidence that he has? Obviously, he's God, so he knows. But how can, how can he give us that assurance? Well, think back to that prayer just for a moment with me. What is it that we are truly praying for as we pray that prayer? We're praying God's promises back to him, aren't we? Think with me, just just think through it just for a second. We said last week, we begin with that great word, Father, a promise for redemption, a promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. That that is the covenant promise, right, that Jesus gives throughout that God gives throughout the Old Testament. Next, we say, hallowed be your name. What are the Psalms, if nothing more than a promise that God's name will be hallowed through all the earth? What does he say in that that hymn in Philippians chapter 1? At the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth, every knee will bow and declare that he is indeed Lord. And then in the book of Revelation, what do we see there at the end? Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, they are before the throne and they are worshiping him. Worthy is the lamb, right? His name is hallowed. Next, he says, thy kingdom come. What was the promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7? Yours will be an everlasting kingdom. What has Jesus brought? The kingdom. And again, what do we see in Revelation? It is established for all of eternity, forevermore. Next, in our our request, we pray for our daily bread. What has God promised in the Exodus? What did he give the people day after day after day? Their daily bread. He's shown himself to, to be faithful, right? What does he say in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus? He says, hey, if God sees the flowers out in the field, if he sees the birds in the air, if he takes care of them, then how much more is he going to take care of you? He's promised our daily bread. He will care for those things. Next, we ask for forgiveness, right? What is the story of the Bible other than the story of God's forgiveness to us from Genesis 315 on? What is happening? God is setting up redemption. He's setting up forgiveness to separate, as far as the east is from the west, our sins from us. James says, if we confess our sins, John says, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And then lastly, protection. Protection from temptation. Spiritual protection. Again, that Exodus group. says, go into the land. Get rid of all of those people. Why? Well, it's judgment to be sure, but he's also trying to protect his own people. He's trying to say, hey, you worship me and you worship me alone. Then in the New Testament, what does Paul assure us in Ephesians six? The whole armor of God will protect us. Right. Those fiery arrows will shoot at us. But we have that shield. We have that armor. We have that sword to protect us. And of course, in Psalm 23, those familiar words, even as we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. He is there protecting us. Now, that was a long. I hope you stuck with me through all that. That was a long way to get there. But what's the point? All of these things that we are praying for, God has already assured us in his word that they are sure that they will come. He has promised us these things. And so we are praying God's promises back to him in the Lord's Prayer. And what do we know about God's promises? He does not change, right? He cannot go back on His Word. Even more than that, all of God's promises are what? They are yes and amen in Christ, who is ours by faith, right? And so when we pray these things, we are praying that God would do exactly what He has said that He will do. There's great assurance in that, friends. We're not we're not asking off the wall things. No, we're asking God to be faithful. And what do we know? He is above all. He is faithful to his people. And so we have that sweet assurance. But secondly, we also have the assurance there in that second parable uh, that that Jesus gives us. Uh, And we don't have time to to sit here for very, very long. uh, But, you know, these words. Uh, He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion? Uh, I will tell you that one of my children who will remain nameless uh, has a great fear of frogs. I'm not sure why, because frogs are not scary very much at all. But I, as the good father that I am, enjoy going outside and getting frogs and bringing them in and secretly like placing them in places where that child will have to find them or touch them or pick them up it's a great fun for me now that's evil that is evil i should not do that that is the evil that god is speaking of here uh, but the point that that jesus is making is that normally if 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 that child or any of my children were really in need if they asked me for something that they really needed I wouldn't give them something that was going to hurt them right I wouldn't give them a scorpion. I wouldn't give them a snake. I wouldn't give them a frog if I really thought they were, it was going to hurt them or if they were really, really afraid. He says, now, you fathers and mothers and grandparents who are evil. And that's a, that seems like a bad rap on us, right? But we know that's the truth of our hearts. We, we read it in the confession this morning. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. And so he's, he's just stating the facts. He said, if you can give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father, who is holy who is righteous, who has your best interests at heart all the time, at every moment. He is working everything out for the good of his people. How much more will he give you the things that you've asked for, the good things that you need? Again, what assurance that is. With one little word, Father, what assurance God gives us. We have good fathers, good mothers, good guides over us here on earth. How much more is our heavenly father for that now? And so we have assurance here. Now, someone will say, well, I prayed for my daily bread. I prayed that God would keep me from temptation and it didn't come. So, so what now? What, what do we do when, when these things still don't seem to come the way that we thought they would? Is the assurance nullified? Is God's faithfulness called into question? Well, friends, I I would have you remember uh, several things. But first, that that we do live in a fallen world, a world where sin, ours, and other people's is still a reality. It's still with us. And the consequences of that sin, it, it often seems to make us forget. It often seems to nullify what we know to be true. Now, it can't do that. It can't nullify God's faithfulness. But in our experience, it often seems because of the things that go on in our lives that maybe God has turned away. I would assure you if that is the case in your life now, if someone has treated you poorly, if your sin has left you in a place where you are trying to decide, how am I going to get through this? friends, Look to God's faithfulness. The, the truth is, is always faith It's reconciling what we know to be true with what our eyes see. And so we know we have these sweet words of promise. And so even though sometimes it doesn't seem to come because of sin, we can know it's true. Secondly, I would also remind you that God's plan, uh, while it is active today, it also encompasses not only you and I individually, but it encompasses all of his people. Throughout all of history, from the beginning to the end, Abraham and Moses and the fathers, to the future, whenever he will come back. And it's also a long-term plan. <laughs> the plan that he has is not just to bring you and I to redemption. No, he's, he's going to do that. The plan is to bring all of his people to redemption. He is imminent enough that he is close. He knows the very number of hairs on our head. Friends, he is also transcendent enough that he is doing a work that, that is greater than we can possibly imagine. And so as he answers our prayers, it's helpful to keep that in mind. Our neighbor down the street, he's answering his prayers also. The people from Moses' day, the people from Abraham's day, he's answering those prayers also. He is answering the prayers of his people. Remember, we said in the Lord's Prayer, it is very communal, right? He says, give us this day our daily bread. We're reminded that that we are a people who are one in Christ, the church universal. And so... We can be sure, we can have assurance that however God answers, he will answer our prayer. So we've seen perseverance, we've seen assurance. But then thirdly and finally, I want you to see just quickly here as we end, the, the true gift of prayer. And the reality is that sometimes it doesn't seem that God answers our prayers the way that we want him to. Sometimes it doesn't seem that he answers at all. I want you to see there at the end of verse 13, Jesus gives us. An assurance. He gives us a gift that is beyond what we can comprehend, and that in that one gift is encompassed everything we could ever want or we can ever need. There he says, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? And here it is. Will the heavenly Father give what? Give you the desires of your heart. Give you the things specifically that you ask for in prayer. Give you even the petitions of the Lord's prayer. Doesn't say that. Says, "How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him?" Friends, I'm willing to admit that that may be a little bit anticlimactic to us. Uh, For some of us, that may be disappointing. But that's only because we fail to understand. And appreciate what Jesus has left us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not able, we don't have time to to go through and give you all the scripture references of all that I'm about to say, but I want to remind you of what the work of the Holy Spirit is in your life today if you are resting in Jesus. It is he who regenerates us. It's he who makes us able to believe to begin with. He is that transforming power from the beginning that opens our eyes to the truth of what Jesus has done. It is the Holy Spirit. Calvin says his chief work is to work faith in our hearts It's only because of the Holy Spirit that we have faith. He illumines the words that as we read this, it is the word of God, even though it is anyway. But we can understand it. We can see Jesus in it. It is He who transforms our hearts and our minds and our actions so that we might be like our Savior. So that we might, even in this life, to whatever degree, become holy. It is the Holy Spirit who works in us hope and assurance and comfort. It is the Holy Spirit who is with us even in the darkest places of our lives. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches us to repent. In the last day, it is the Holy Spirit who will raise us up and give us new bodies, right? The Lord will come. The Holy Spirit will raise us up with Him. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches us. If we are to learn, it is the Holy Spirit who teaches us to pray. Friends, in short, it is the Holy Spirit who communicates to us. All of Christ's benefits. And remember in Ephesians, Paul prays that. And we would have all of Christ's benefits, you know? And we would know them, what they are. It's the Holy Spirit who communicates that to the life of the believer. And it's he who does it because it is he who unites us to Christ. And friends, there, that, if you haven't heard anything else I've said, hear that. Because that's the gift. that That's the hope of the Christian life. That we're not out here solo on our own. That we're not walking by ourselves. But that in the Holy Spirit, we have been united in a real way to our Savior. That all that is His is now ours. All of His goodness and righteousness and holiness is now ours, right? It's been imputed to us. All of that happens by way of the Holy Spirit. John Calvin, in book three of the Institutes, he begins with this. He says, first, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Did you catch what he said? As long as Jesus is out there and not in here, then all that he has done is useless to you. It makes no difference in your life. But he goes on to say, to sum up, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites himself to us through the spirit. We are in union with Christ. Now, again, we don't have time to break that down. But Francis, believe me, that's, that's the best news of all. We are united to our Savior. And because we are, he will never let us go. All that is his. It is ours. One last quote. J.C. Ryle says the Holy Spirit is beyond doubt the greatest gift which God can bestow upon man. Having this gift, we have all things, life, light, hope and heaven. Having this gift, we have God, the father's boundless love, God, the son's atoning blood and full communion with all three persons of the blessed Trinity. Having this gift, we have grace and peace in the world that now is glory and honor in the world to come. In other words, in the Holy Spirit, God gives us all that he intends for his people. And what does Jesus say here? He says, if we ask, he'll give it to us. (laughs) That's uh, as unqualified as it comes. He says, if we ask, then the Father will give us the Spirit. Friends, as we end, let me ask you again. How's your prayer life today? Are you learning to pray using the model that Jesus has given us in this chapter? Are you persistent daily bringing your requests to him? Friends, Maybe that may be the best lesson that we can learn from, from all of this is that prayer is meant to be a daily part of our existence. It's meant to be part of the life of Christians in a way that is real and meaningful you know, and I know this just as well as all of you, because it's true in my life. Prayer is something that's very easy to begin. It's very hard to see through, right? It's very hard to be persistent at. Are we being persistent? Do you have the assurance that Jesus will answer your prayers? And are you looking for those answers and the greatest gift that he could ever give? Are you looking for them in the power of the Holy Spirit? Friends, last week I ended with a challenge that we might be found at New Albany Presbyterian Church in 2022 to be a praying church. And I want to reiterate that challenge today. We have no reason to expect success or growth or endurance or peace or edification or any of those great things, whether it's individually or whether it's corporately. We have no reason to expect any of that. If we aren't going to our Lord in prayer. Now don't get me wrong. He is faithful even when we are not faithful. He is faithful to do the things that he has said he's going to do. But friends, can you imagine what he would do in the life of our church if we were daily laying ourselves bare before him? Whether that was together as we are now or whether that was individually in our homes. Because I assure you, he has promised that he can do far more that he will do. Far more than we could ever expect. And so I ask you, will you join me this year? Will you join the officers of this church? Will you join all of us together? I'm praying. Praying for, for the ministries here. Praying for the people here. Praying for me and for Ben and for the, the officers of your church. Praying for yourselves. Praying that God would faithfully lead us in the way that we should go. Friends, he is far more than we could ever expect. He gives us far more than we could ever deserve, and yet He is faithful to do it. Let's praise Him together as we pray. Father, we, we do come before You, and we thank You for the sweet assurances that we have in prayer. Lord, they are beyond what we could expect or comprehend, and certainly far more than we deserve. And yet, Lord, You love, because You are a good Father, to bestow good gifts on Your children. Lord, help us to remember that the greatest gift of all you have given us by the power of the spirit. You've given us him to to live in our hearts so that now all that is Jesus, it belongs to us. All of those great benefits, all of that redemption, all of it is ours through that union. So may we look to that. May we praise you for that over and over and over again. Uh, But Lord, we we do. We need uh, help. We need to learn to pray. As a church, as individuals, Lord, you are clear in your word that that's supposed to be a mark of your people. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us that sort of church, make us that sort of people. Help us to to have an enthusiasm about prayer. Help us to be persistent in it and bold. But then also give us that sweet assurance that you hear us, that you love us, and that you answer our prayers. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, in whom all of these things are sure, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. We ask them in his name. Amen.